the, the weather was not fashioned real well, but they had a wire, a strap of some kind to tie it on the inside to, to something. They could hold on to it, but the wolves would put their nose uh, under the bats there, the old wooden bats, and try to prize this, uh, this uh, window uh, open. They didn't have any glass windows. It was just a, an old bat. It had uh, uh, wood or, uh, that, and logs and such as that that they could close it up with. And he said that, Papa said that he and Uncle Ed would stay awake all night. And one of them would hold on to this string or strap that was holding the door down, and the other, if the, the wolves got their nose too close in, they'd beat them on the nose with these with a, with a stick of wood, dozen wood. Now that was the way they had to live that winter. Now uh, I think after that, Grandma had a belly full of it, and she brought her little brood away from there and came down to Austin, and she was a school teacher here at, at uh, Oatmanville. It's Oak Hill called Oak Hill now, but she was a school teacher out at, at Oatmanville in those days, and that was where they. Convict Hill is, and that's uh, they they were probably at that time bringing the the stone in for for the Capitol building that Convict Hill is named after, and also Grandma taught at uh, at Manchac. Uh, she taught school at Manchac, and I will pick that up and go a little further with all of it a little later. Now we'll get back to the uh, personal element of it when Grandma retired and she's living down uh, at Kingsville with Aunt uh, Minnie. She'd come once a year. She'd come up and visit with uh, Papa and Uncle Ed. Uncle Ed at that time lived in Dripping Springs, and of course we lived on West Live Oak Street at our home there. And uh, that Grandma would come up, and I remember she came up in times when we had the horse and buggies. It must have been about 19, but uh, around 1910, 1914, along in there. And uh, she would stay at our house. And when she'd come there, well, uh, Grandma dipped snuff, and she had little cans of snuff and. She always made a point of letting Harold and me or Polk and Johnny, we'd, we'd uh, alternate as to when Grandma got there to go out and get a, a snuff dipper. And that was a little a branch off of a hackberry tree, about half as big as your, as your little finger, and big enough to where she could chew up and make a little brush on one end of it. And she'd dip that down into a snuff box or a snuff can, and, and that's where she'd dip snuff. And whichever one of the, uh, our children had got to go get Grandma the, the uh, snuff dipper, we got a nickel. And that was a big deal in those days. And then I remember when Grandma got ready to go to Dripping Springs. There was an old Negro man who uh, uh, run a hack. They called it the mail hack. He, that was the mail route from Austin to Dripping Springs. And I don't know how often he made it, maybe once or twice a week. But it was an old, old man named Eddie. He was a, a Negro man. And back in those days, the, the Negroes were not allowed to vote in the Democratic primary. And so no Negroes were Democrats at all. All the Negroes had to be Republicans. And of course, uh, when Taft and Roosevelt were uh, president, uh, all the mail carriers and the postal people were appointed by the Republicans. And old Alec, being a Republican and being a Negro, uh, he got the, the, the mail route. And so he had a, a three-seated hack, it was, and he had a couple of mules that he, he uh, drove it with. And Alec lived uh, at the point uh, where at Rooster Springs now, just before you, just beyond Cedar Valley on the Austin and, and Dripping Springs Road. And Rooster Springs is where the little tank is, and it's a, still a spring there on the north side of the, of the road. And over on the south side of the road is the, the gate to the Sawyer's Ranch where the Sawyer's sign is. Well, Alec lived in a house right there where that, where that uh, Sawyer's Road went. And he would come, uh, he'd uh, leave in the mornings and come down and pick up the mail in Austin. And, and then if there's any passengers going from Austin to Dripping Springs, he'd take them out too for a fee. And so Alec would deliver his mail in the pastures to Dripping Springs, and then he'd ride back down to his home. 
And that's the way Grandma would get up to Griffin Springs in those early days. I want to pick up now and tell uh, when Papa and Uncle Ed were teenage boys, about 18 uh, or 19, maybe not that old, they picked cotton around in the, for Mr. John Wandlow, who owned the ranch out where, uh, on, on the south bank of Onion Creek and probably on both sides of Onion Creek, where Calvin Hughes, who owned the place uh, uh, on the Bluff Springs Road there, just where the, uh, where they called the Red Gate. There's a new H-E-B store being built there now. Well, back in the 1880s, uh, uh, about 1884, 85, Mr. Wadlow lived there, and Mr. Calvin Hughes did, and Papa and Uncle Ed picked cotton for them and lived in their home there all one summer. And they got enough money from those two men picking there, where one year Uncle Ed, he managed to, he wanted to be a doctor, so he went to Louisville. Uh, Kentucky, and he studied medicine uh, for a year, and he become a doctor, and he become a good one. And he come home and and uh, got married to Aunt Lula, Lula Spall, and I'll tell who their children were in, in a few minutes. And then Papa, when he got uh, uh, enough money to go to Baylor University, he wanted to be a lawyer. I'm now going to take up the uh, relationship of uh, the Dr. E. P. Shelton and his wife Lula Spall Shelton. I am and. Uh, nearing what you might call the twilight of my life, I believe that I'll be qualified to make some sort of a, a judgment with reference to the quality of life and the quality of the individuals that I've known during my life. And it is my considered opinion that uh, taking all things into consideration, the, uh, that Dr. E.P. Shelton, Uncle Ed, and his wife Lula Spall Shelton, that comparing what they had to do with that they gave more to the world and took less from it than any couple that it's been my good fortune to know during my lifetime. I feel that when Judgment Day comes, that like the poet that wrote Abu Ben Adam, that when they come to read the list of the names of those who, of whom the love of God had blessed, that in all likelihood, Lula and Dr. Ed Shelton may lead all the rest. Edgar Poe Shelton was born on June the 1st, 1867, and he died on May the 29th, 1946. Now, Lula Spall Shelton was born on May the 18th, 1876, and she died on December the 19th, I believe it was, 1950. Now, they were married on December the 6th in 1892. They had 13 children as a result of this marriage. That all the Sheltons did was just to go into horizontal exercises and raise children. But I'll tell you, certainly they all had full lives and that was not the only purpose of their living. Now I want to say a few things in general the way the life was out there. Uncle Ed and Aunt Lula, they had uh, their little old house that they were living in raised all these kids. There were two bedrooms, one for the girls and one for the boys, and, and Aunt Lula and Uncle Ed lived in one. But they, they raised all this bunch of kids without any refrigeration. We didn't have an ice box. I know Faye and Lois would get up and, and start cooking in the morning. They'd cook a big old uh, black tin pan full of biscuits, and, uh, and uh, they'd had to serve the, the kids by two or three uh, servings at, at, at the table. And Ellison and I were always on the second table. The older ones got the first table, and 
So the the room, the wall between the kitchen and the outside was just one one wall. It wasn't any double walls in those days, and they'd uh, had holes in the, and cracks in the in, the, in there. And we'd uh, stand around and make make faces through these cracks at the people that was eating. And and I remember one day that Faye and 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 the other girls had picked up made a great big pan of biscuits, which it had to be. It had to be a great big black pan of biscuits in the wood stove there. And Ellison was afraid there wasn't going to be enough left for him. And when they took him out of the stove, he run in and grabbed two of them out of the pan, rubbed them on his feet, and put them back in the plate. He said, now those are two biscuits I'm going to get this time. And I imagine that he did get those two biscuits, but he went to an extreme to ensure that he got to eat that day. I remember when Uncle Ed first got his uh, car, the twins wanted to drive, and they kept strict time on on uh, how much each one of them drive. Now, Uncle Ed would stop downtown where the old horse trough was and put water in the car because it just... It just had to have as much water as it had gasoline almost. And the radiator was always bad. And so one of the twins would meet him down there at the, at the uh, uh, watering trough. And they got to drive it home and then drive it out to the garage where, where he parked it in the barn. And they'd take time about it and they kept strict books on that. And then one day, one of them, I don't know which one it was, Ralph or Roy, they, they was to, one of them was to drive it up in front of the house. And the other one, he then was to pick it up in front of the house and take it on out to the garage. It was about to, they'd keep the mileage even. Well, the one that was driving it up to the house, instead of stopping in front of the house, he drove on up the road a little ways and come in the gate and tore it out toward the barn. Well, the, the other one intercepted him when he got about halfway to the barn and jumped up on top of the running board there and was pulling his hair. And, of course, the, the car went off out through the woods there trying to dodge the one that's driving. He's trying to dodge the trees and the other one was pulling his hair. And, of course, Uncle Ed looked with a dim view up on that, and he gave both of them a good switching and probably took them, he took them off the automobile driving for a little while anyway. So I'm going to go back and tell about the first football game that took place in Dripping Springs. It was on Christmas Day, either 25, 1925 or 26. I was already out of college, and so Dripping Springs matched a, a game with Buda. Buda was Edgar Patton, or not Edgar Patton, but one of the Patton boys had a team down there, and so he got the two Kirkendall boys and one of the Donaldsons and the Prears and and um, Holtzlaw and that bunch that, that lived down there, they were they thought they were good, and they got a couple of boys out of San, San Marcos named Ward and Wright to play with them. Well, the Dripping Springs team had seven Sheltons. That is Albert and Robert and Ellison and Ralph and Roy and Emmett and Harold. And then we had Sub Pilon to come up and help us and, and Doc Gary from San Marcos, and also we had uh, uh, one or two more. But we built a, a field. The first time they ever had a field is right there where the county has their dump there now where the blinking light is. And we played that bunch, and, and uh, we beat them 14 to nothing. The two Kirkendall boys played, Bill and Ike, and, and uh, of course, Harold was, at that year was playing with Howard Payne. The twins were playing at A&I. Ellison was playing at, uh, at uh, Nacogdoches. And I had just finished my career at San Marcos. Of course, Robert and Elbert were old men by that time, but Robert was always in good shape because being athletic director, he had to stay in good shape. I was very sweet on Dove Brack, and some reason or another, Dove had to spend the night there at Uncle uh, Ed's house, and, and I was had to, too. And uh, the middle room there next to Aunt Lula's room was, uh, we just put pa pallets down. Everybody slept wherever they could. The, the older ones got to sleep on the bed. The girls got to sleep on the bed, and the boys uh, just sleep on a, a quilt spread on the floor or sleep out on the porch. Well, that night I was bedding down there in the same room, and Aunt Lula came in. She said, now, Amy, said, uh, you, you're not kin to, to, to Dove, and you can't sleep in the same room with her. See, uh, uh, Faye was sleeping in there, and I don't know how many there. There's about six of us in there, but Aunt Lula, uh, uh, as a matter of, of uh, 
decorum, she said, now you've got to go in the other little room. That was the one that I uh, put my sickness in on. I had to sleep in another room from from where Dove was going to sleep. But we made a joke about it, and that was that, that uh, they had two bedrooms, one for the boys and one for the girls. Now, the one instance here, or one uh, secret of infants is about an uh, instance that ought to be talked about, and that is around that door that goes into the to, to the bedroom from the from the gallery. The, for years and years and years, all the people would date their height. They'd back up against the door uh, frame and they'd make a mark and put their name and the date. And those are on there for years and years. It's really a, uh, uh, an antique. And I remember when I took my little stepson Jeffrey Dochin out there for the first time and showed him that. He said, Emmett, and I'm a part of this family, I'm a not. And that was about four or five years ago, and I said, you are? He said, well, let me get my name and my, my height and my age on that. So he backed up there, and we put his mark there somewhere. But that is really a, uh, the history of the Shelton family uh, marked on that wall there, and I hope Clarence preserves it. I know he will.